We are a group of friends bound by our appreciation for liberty and good podcasting. Free-minded thinkers from all walks of life, our values come together with one accord to discuss the common culture and news of the day, along with whatever random crap is going on in our lives. Welcome to the Union of the Unknowns. Hello, welcome to another episode of Union of the Unknowns. It's always great to have your company here. It's always great to have the company of my fellow unknowns. Uh, I'm Stella Q, coming to you from Australia on uh, this particular May day. Um, Today we have with us Ashley, Think, Change, Repeat. Welcome, Ashley. Good to see you. Thank you. Good to see you. (laughs) And uh, we also have our history man, Keel Thor. (laughs) The the eyebrows raised. (laughs) Sorry, man. (laughs) That's, uh, I'll take that as a compliment. It's good to be here. Not too many expectations, but uh, yeah, you're in there. Today we have a very special guest with us, uh, someone that us, the unknowns, had the pleasure of meeting a little while back um, via our pod godparents, Monica Perez mm-hmm. and Brad Binkley from the Propaganda Report. And I never thought I'd say this about 2020 or 2021, but those were kind of the days. <laughs> uh, anyway, our guest, he's young, he's smart. And when it comes to knowing a lot of interesting stuff, he's fat. Mm -hmm. Um, Today we're going to probably just chew a little bit of general knowledge, um, have a yarn about a few things, maybe about what this crazy world looks like through the eyes of the youth, um, our future. (laughs) But we're also going to, I suspect, learn a few interesting things about uh, maybe a key historical revolutionary figure, uh, chew the fat about Napoleon, Pick his bones apart, if you will. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> thank you. I'd like to introduce the uh, and welcome Fat Mitch. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you going? Oh, thanks. It's it's real neat to be here. Good to uh, hear you all, I guess, uh, and see some of you. Uh, yeah, I think that most of what I can offer from like a practical standpoint probably has to do with you know how uh, today's youth sees the world. But you know, I also indulge in that timeless art of uh of history so that's cool you know if, if the uh, modern day gets too depressing uh there's always the past to look on well we've always got to look at the past to see what's coming don't we that's true <laughs> yeah well first before we sort of launch into anything like that tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing these days and where you're kind of heading as much as uh, you would like to divulge yeah um i'm a student uh I'm not going to say where I go, but no, uh, I will that. say that uh, I'm. my studies are directed towards the uh, pursuit of eventually attaining a medical degree, um, despite the fact, despite the barriers that uh, are most certainly, and after the, you know, the recent events put up in spades to stop people like me from getting a medical license. Uh, you know, that just means that people like me need to try harder. Anyway, I'm not. You know, I'm no stranger to hard work, but for most of my life, it's been a lot of desk jockey action. But, you know, I still find time to uh, do stuff I find interesting instead of just the uh, general slog work that whatever professor or uh, maestro happens to assign me. But uh, I don't let it get me down. I've been educated at a couple different places. I've been to a public school. I've been to a Catholic school. Uh, I've been to a really prissy private school, very, like, highbrow, but 
I don't know. We can get into it later. It's not. It's not exactly a, a paragon of free thought. Well, is any school? <laughs> That's a good point. Maybe Hillsdale, I guess, but. <laughs> Maybe I thought that was just uh, you know Sean Hannity's ad. Oh no, I I I know a few kids who uh, well <laughs> they ain't kids. I know a, a few uh, adults who who've been to Hillsdale, and I tell you what, they all turned out totally great, or at least better than the ones who went to Princeton. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Well, I I, I will been. have to. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm not sort of. I don't know what the uni scene really is, with the different what social temperatures sort of are you talking about? Yeah, I guess. I mean, out out here, pretty much every single uh, college and university, a any big one, anyone on the map, is pretty uh, pretty left, pretty new age, pretty progressive. I'm pretty sure the only only significant university in a uh, that's in a county that isn't blue is Texas A&M, and that's just because it's essentially an Air Force training base. Uh, so yeah, the uni scene out here is pretty. Uh, pretty monotone it's pretty uh except the the new world order and more than that help us create it um and for you you know and for the kids who go into the liberal arts and stuff like that help us destroy the current paradigm and the past paradigm and then you've got the stem kids making the creating the new paradigm uh so it's wow. mostly just uh it's mostly just a um grinding gear for the new machine but you know kids are still coming in getting drunk you know getting laid, having some awesome fun times in college, you know, the land of where you can still be a kid, but also kind of be an adult. So that part hasn't changed, and I'm sure it's the same down there. Yeah. Yeah, no nothing new under the sun there. Um, the university scene over there is is pretty different, I think. I mean, I can't say I've never been to university myself, but um, and I'm very out of touch, but I think it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty different. But I didn't realize it was that bad over there. Um, I thought it was, you know, there was some bad ones, and some other good ones sort of well thing. i mean from what i'm getting from you it sounds like it's predominantly it's really on a scale of... of more to less militant i mean bad and good ones it's mostly just yeah which ones do does everybody care and everybody's going to persecute you or which ones does nobody really care and there's a whole like there's a bunch of different axes and there's a bunch of different schools like you can have really high-end schools in which you know it's not extraordinarily political because all the kids are just such hyper nerds that they can't comprehend anything that doesn't have numbers in it and then you've got like really crappy schools that are super political because that's all they've got you know and then you've got all the schools in between so don't get me wrong there's quite a wide breadth and scope of it or at least that's what the college counselors try to convince you uh but you know generally uniformly you don't get a lot of um political diversity from the administrative level don't have a lot of colleges don't have a lot of universities trying to uh you know, trying to fight the good fight, I suppose partly because the public schools get their funding from the government, and mm -hmm. the other thing is that the private schools get their funding from people who want to see the new government uh, rise. So it's it's yes, it's it's very interesting too. I've done that a, a little bit a while back. Looked into the funding of a number of universities, some of them here in Australia and some of them over there, and yeah, it's always the usual suspects. You can trace it back to the usual ones, uh, pretty much. So but a lot of the a lot of the kids nowadays, I mean, at least the ones I've met, there's a lot who are totally brainwashed, militant sycophants who will 
you know, dually persecute you for not believing what they want to believe and also just march ahead with their own stuff regardless. Um, so there are like a lot of true believers like that in the kids. And, and that's partly because of uh, TikTok and the media and everything like that. You know, these kids have phones at like six years old. You know, I'll be sitting in a restaurant or something like that. And they'll just be a kid or kids or something like that at every table just with a phone. Yeah, you know, the parents are talking, everything like that. But every kid's got a phone. It's kind of the cop out of parenting. Anyway, yep. that, yeah, it's the babysitter. It's the yeah. keep them quiet thing. My kid doesn't have a phone. She's not going to get one for a few years yet. She's eight. Yeah. My eight, parents eight, held out as as long as they could, but once I transferred to that uh that private school, it's like it's like the QR codes at the restaurants. It's like, well, they don't even conceive of the possibility of you not having a phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I know. It's you absolutely incredible. have to. And then obviously, there's like, okay, well, I'll just get my kid a flip phone, and it's like, well, you know, that's not really in vogue, and kids are going to make fun of your kid for that. You know, might as mm. and you you know whatever. Parenting is just dodging a minefield nowadays like well i could give the kid a flip phone and then totally socially ostracize him or give him the actual phone and lose him forever yeah i agree i i actually remember the moment i think a demon entered my son um was uh back in the day when um video i I was living in tasmania so we were sort of pretty much you know remote and didn't have a lot of access to technology and stuff so we had a pretty ancient um little video game thing i think sega Sega Master mm-hmm. System, yeah. it was. And um, we'd kept that in a box for a little while, and, and, and my boy was oh, he's coming up to five, I think, and it came out of the box one day, and, oh, my gosh, I just thought he was impossible. to. We, we had to literally peel him away from this thing from the moment he saw it, and then it became a real problem, like going over to friends' places and trying to get him to stop playing so we could go home. It was like, oh, my gosh, it was a whole world of pain. Yep. So... Yeah, it uh, does shape the uh, youth. I can personally uh, verify that sentiment. Like, uh, I, I was a kid that played video games, and I can remember, I can think back to just being completely absorbed in it and, uh, you know, throwing the controller across the room when the video game was cheating, you know, because I was <laughs> losing or whatever, and just angry as crap and... My parents couldn't pull me away from it and that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's just know. like an entity that it, it was controls. An, it, it is like a metaverse. I mean, it is like you're in another world. Well, it's like uh, any kind of uh, addiction, I suppose. You're you're kind of addicted to this thing and you can't let go of it. And if somebody takes it away, then you throw a fit. Um, I, but I the phones, are, phones are the same way. You know, you get addicted to getting likes and posting social things and that's, you know all part of the same mental chemistry i think yeah i know a kid who fell into the the video game trap he was a he was a good friend of mine uh back when i lived in a different place than i do now uh and uh i would just go over to his house and i remember i remember one day i knew like there's just something different we both played video games you know and i still play video games i like them a lot and i get a lot of complicated views on them which i can share in a bit but Anyway, I went to his house and he had video games, but he was one of those kids. And so, you know, we were having a sleepover or whatever. And uh, I remember him like waking up at 6 a.m. And I was just like, dude, what is going on? Dude, go back to sleep. And he was like, no, man, I want to play video games before my parents wake up. And I'm like, dude, what? (laughs) You know, and I was both shocked at the like, wow, you you know, you would disobey your parents like that. And and that was the first. And the second was like, dude, it's 6 a.m. You know, yeah, 
that's kind of crazy. And anyway, you know, he went down and did it. And of course I went and did it with him. Cause you know, what am I going to do? Just sit in his room and pout, you know, there's games to be played. Uh, <laughs> Boo went down there and did it. But I remember like thinking like, wow, you know, we're different in that we're just different. And sure enough, he ended up complete, like pretty much everything shy of institutionalized. Uh, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Well, epilepsy wow. and everything like that. So absolutely terrible. Consumed his yeah, life. Well, I, I, okay. I like to, yeah, that's not the case with me. But, it, you know, it just goes to show that, like, it's what it can do. You know, you don't want to yeah. get drawn to the mire of, like, this is what it's going to do for everybody. Ban everything now. You know, it's just, like, don't, re you know, watch your kids. You know, make sure that you're not losing them to the to the video game. But I, I rather like video games. I really do. I, yeah. I play them a lot. It's not all I ever do because a lot of the times either I'm grossly overstimulated by just the amount of stuff going on that I just like, I, I just got to read a book, you know, like I'm sick of the flashing colors and the loud sounds and everything like that. Like I'm tired, you know, it's yeah, not, yeah. it can't be your only form of release because then you, you, you kind of become two people, uh, you know, it, it cannot, that possibly, way it is, it cannot it, possibly be good for young brains that are forming. No, of course not. Uh, especially particularly young. Although I find them and, and there's a distinction to be made regarding video games between like the kind of the, every man's video game, you know, like Mario and Call of Duty and stuff like that. Just the, you know, come home from a long day at work, you know, crack open a bruise, can you just play a game, right? Like that is, that is, that is simple. That is the, you know, that is the way that most people think of them. And to an extent, it's the way that they were initially designed. It's like, oh, you know, it's like music or a book. It's just another form of entertainment. It's just another art. Um, and then there's like the, you know, different kind of video games that, you know, the ones not made for your average man, the ones made for the people who are going to buy it, you know, and the people who are going to play it for a long time, the, you know, the, the gross, diehards. yeah, the, the very outdated term, but like gamers, you know, gamers, uh, you know, like, and that's the demographic in which you've got, you know, the kids who on, on one hand really appreciate the video games and love playing them. And it, you know, gives them this pleasure, not happiness usually, but pleasure, um, you know, and then you've got yeah, a lot of the kids dopamine, who don't. isn't it? The you, sort you, of dopamine. Yeah, you'd be surprised the amount of kids I know just don't do, just don't like video games that much. It's just it's like, oh man, you you know you play this, play that, and I'm like, no, dude, like I do sports, so fret not. That like you know, know. America's <laughs> youth is not utterly lost. You know, there are still the football kids. There's still jocks and nerds. Thank goodness. <laughs> I, yeah, unfortunately, that's, that's good. That gives me hope. Did not find myself on either side of the spectrum. Um, so I was I was. Not a constant war between both, but but mutual e exile. Um, either way, video games I find to be like a. I mean, it's it's really hard to take anybody seriously who's like justifying video games. Like even I barely like entertain stuff like that. It's like stop trying to like like oh no, but it's educational. Oh, but the, I'm like dude, like you're you know whatever you're a grown ass man playing video games. Like shut up. Um, you know, you should be working or something like that. Like video games that they're games, they're children's toys, right? There's not much of an excuse for anybody over the age of like. Anybody out of college be playing video games, in my opinion. It's just not... Yeah. It, it's... I, 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 I'm sorry. I, I have a, a couple of friends who are in there. Well, they're quite old. <laughs> and um, they're still in, like, intensely playing, like, really late at night and wondering why marriages are not very healthy. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, hello. Now, I remember not that long ago reading about Japan um, and how... There was oh, an yeah. absolute crisis there, which you will get onto that in a sec because you know about that. But um, 
the youth there, some of them were just so bad that they were wearing nappies and just not leaving, like not eating, not leaving. Mm-hmm. And they'd, they'd end up um, being rounded up and going to a boot camp basically to break the, break the habit. Did you hear about that? You've recently visited Japan, no, right? Not, not in particular, but I'm aware that in their culture, that's an, just an accepted possibility. And and I'm not like a like a huge like like I don't you know really watch anime ever, but you know I know kids who do and stuff like that. That's also interesting, like the cultural subversion of anime in today's youth. Like it's absolutely taken over. It's completely replaced like you know all the cartoons we used to have. And obviously, I think most of you are too old to remember this, but we had in America, at least like a golden age of really quality cartoons in the late nineties and early two thousands. You know, you think, I mean, SpongeBob is the, you know, the flagship, right? Those first few seats, like it was totally exactly what you wanted. It was colorful, you know, and simple so that your kid would just keep looking at it, but it also didn't like have subversive messaging and, and this and that, right? Like it was your classic American cartoon and it was great, you know, and everybody loved it, but now we've had that like pretty much entirely replaced with like this anime stuff that's got all these undertones of like pedophilia and like incest and stuff like that. And it's really disgusting stuff. And uh, that's another angle of kind of cultural subversion that I don't hear a lot of people talking about, mostly because it's entirely disconnected from the older generations. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's yep. not uncommon. To hear oh, anime? Oh. What's that? Never heard of that. Oh, just, okay. Thank you very much for that segue, because I was just about to say. Um, for all our slightly older generational type listeners and ourselves, um, just could you just really sort of explain from the basics of what anime is, what it sort of looks like, how it's different? Because I, I, mean, I know what it looks like and everything, but oh. there's this huge culture and this whole root system that comes off it that I don't seem to understand. So can You're, you possibly uh... put that in the... You might be asking the wrong guy. I'm not. I'm not actually a huge anime fan, but but basically, anime are Japanese cartoons. Yeah, uh, you got you got something to say? No, I I think I could probably answer that because yeah, I when I was coming up, uh, we called it Japanimation because it was, you know, from the 70s and 80s. That's when it kind of hit the American shores. But it it was uh, animation that came out of Japan following World War II, and that's kind of why it's always so bleak and post-apocalyptic at least originally but um it's it's developed into a regular thing and uh, it also kind of came out of the manga books that uh they make over there in japan which are novels basically or newspapers um that that are mm-hmm. co- like comic strips and that's how you you read the uh, the information in it and it's it's kind of an odd concept for us but over there it's very common as far as i'm as far as i know uh but uh, that's where it all kind of came from it's really just japanese animation and you've got uh, there's a particular stylization with it with the big eyes and the mm-hmm. the weird emotions they're they're and... meant to to um sorry just quick intermittent they're yeah, meant ahead. to represent like americans you know and westerners with their big eyes right uh, like it's right, yeah. it's it started as our cultural subversion for them and in, in post-World War II occupied Japan, you know, right? The concept of the cartoon and this and that, right? Mm-hmm. And then, oh boy, did it come back to uh, to bite us. I mean, yeah. that was the plan. I don't know. But Long story the, short, what? Yeah? Yeah, it, it was, uh, it's just kind of the term anime co- encompasses that kind of Japanese style animation, anime. Yeah. Whatever. And okay. it's yeah. entirely changed nowadays. I mean, what used to be like the the kind of video game thing 
that I think we we touched on and that the kids are just glued to it and what like that that is that is transitioning to anime um that is what's becoming like the kind of black hole of your children just sitting in their room you know dimly lit room just glued to the tv anime is becoming that uh and it atrophies their social skills i mean i believe me i see i see in real life acting like who are taught their social skills by these japanese cartoons and are completely out of place nowadays so there's a whole lot of that happening and it totally replaces at least video games you had a lot of independent thought going on you know this it's no thought it's a complete you're not adding anything you're not doing anything you're just absorbing information and while it's dangerous to have that you know playing a video game actually feeling like you're doing something making a difference that's dangerous because you're not you are sitting in your room doing nothing um Right. Like, for example, like you will walk into your kid's room and say, hey, what are you doing? Instead of saying I'm playing video games, they're saying, you know, whatever, I'm bringing my right flank up to protect my rear or something like that. They can't understand, you know, it's hard for them to separate vicariously living through these video game characters and their actual sense of self. Uh, So that's that's a dangerous thing about video games is that you inhabit a different a different entity. You become someone else. And in that process, you lose yourself. Um, But at least, you know. You, you have agency and whatnot, whereas in, in just watching cartoons, just absorbing that kind of stuff, you don't have a say. I mean, you can shout at the TV all you want, and, you know, we've, we've all seen Dad on Sunday Night Football, but, you know, it's it's a little bit different. You know, so there's pros and cons to both. Personally, I'd rather see a, a, a nation of, you know, decrepit gamers than a nation of weeaboos, but, you know, that's lesser two evils. Uh, okay, sorry. Weeaboo? please explain uh americans who have entirely uh, it's hard to explain but essentially americans largely eh, mostly american children who have pretty much thrown off their their sense of identity and assimilated into japanese culture so you know they'll like try and learn japanese always fails because they just do not have like the discipline to actually do anything because their brains have been rotted by this anime (sighs) Um, you know, but they'll dress like in really strange ways. You know, a lot of them like pick up sword, like katanas and stuff like that. Like they literally try to become yeah, their okay. anime characters. Yeah, and it's it's but not just... even it's not even that they're studying Japanese culture. It's they're they're getting the kind of shit culture that makes its way over here and yeah. just adopting that and like trying to be that. And it's not even a, a real culture anywhere. But now that weeaboo. Yeah, it's just it's I've, just kind of shit. I've heard it compared to like Japanese people trying to learn English through Family Guy, you know, right? Yeah. And they all just sound like Peter Griffin and stuff. It's like that is not you're not learning English, you know. Do not do that. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> a- anime and video games. Will, will those be the the death of of America's youth? I don't know. That's very interesting because it's almost like a it's like the modern warfare, I guess, without mm-hmm. wanting to get too too far up that end. But um, yeah, I mean, you got the the opposite end of the scale, which is Pearl Harbor, of course, which was, mm-hmm. well, let's not even go there, but <laughs> the narrative of Pearl Harbor. But, um, yeah, don't get me wrong, to, video uh, games this... are... Yeah, sorry? Yeah, just so, just the way it's being shaped, it's sort of like it's the, the boiled of frogs slowly sort of thing. I'm, I'm sure that's not the intention of it, but um, it's the result of it, it looks like. So, it's, I mean, yeah, it's an don't... interesting... Don't get me wrong, video games are great fun, and I absolutely love playing them. And you know, you can talk as much smack about it. I can talk as much smack about it as I want, but I'll bet your ass you find me on a Saturday with nothing to do. I'm sitting there, you know, playing whatever my game. And 
you know, if you're if you're if you're good with it and if you've been raised right and if you can think for yourself, you can learn a thing or two from video games. Uh, whether it's about, you know, the kind of narrative that's currently being pushed on the youth, right? If you play a particularly popular game, like you think about like Call of Duty and stuff like that, it's pretty much just become like a, a, a Pentagon propaganda, right? So yeah. you you play enough of it and you're like, okay, you know, I get what this is, right? But there's a lot of, I find the idea of like simulator games absolutely fascinating. And I'm not talking about like, like games in which you simulate driving a bus or like, you know, driving a tractor or something like that. I'm talking about like strategy games and whatnot. Um, and I think about how that's just a higher level. That's like the officer recruiting core, you know, kind of thing, mm. right? You get the higher level, the smarter kids who can do, you know, the the top-down tactics and whatnot, um, get them really invested in kind of the warfare model, right? And then you draw them into the army with the promise of like, oh, you will be able to put into practice, you know, all the stuff you've been doing in your video games. And if you look at the army's recruiting nowadays, it's exactly that. I mean, it's literally so predatory. I cannot believe uh, it's out there, but like I, I see army ads sometimes just, you know, whatever on the TV and it, it, it's like, you know, pick your class. You can be this or that. It's like th this, they're literally acting like it's a video game. They're just preying on. on mm, yeah. Kids. Okay. Yep. So they're sort of forming that thinking and then they know how to um, prey on that thinking. That's really interesting. That, that happened to my boy too. I, I noticed he, cause he got really into these very high tech video games once he was able to. And, um, yeah, and then of course he wanted to join the army. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Which I was not happy about. Um, fortunately, so, it didn't work out that way. So. Are are Call of Duty games funded by uh, Department of Defense type things? I know that there are Call of Duty games in which you can buy things in the game. The proceeds of which go to like pretty much the 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 Department of Defense. So I imagine there's a mutual thing there, right? Not like and not in the way that like. Oh man, all that you know, all those trillions of dollars of income we're making off of Call of Duty, but but it's more of just like if Call of Duty directly links itself with the U.S. Army, the you know the or the military complex, they'll probably well they'll they'll make sure it's on shelves, or rather they'll make sure it doesn't get canceled. Uh, right, that that war never really falls out of fashion. Uh, but I'm not sure there's any. I mean, I just haven't looked into it, but I can almost guarantee you that there is. Uh, I mean, there there, there just has to be if you if you're running whatever the pentagon and you're not capitalizing on that you'd be kicked out within a day maybe they're at least sending you know advisors to the call of duty headquarters to give them plot lines and different uh like they do on movie yeah. sets you know they'll they'll have a mil uh, a military guy on set to make sure things look somewhat believable Oh yeah, of course, and and I'm sure there'll be ones like, okay, how about you make one about Afghanistan this year? How about you make one about like, you know, Libya this year? Because we want to go into Libya soon, so let's just get everyone geared for that. Mm. Um, yeah. I'm not sure the, you know, there's a lot of, and then you, it just gets to thinking about like, okay, well, what are the kind of people who make up like the Department of Defense stuff like that? Is it mostly old people who don't believe in the power of video games as a propaganda arm? Is it mostly you know young people like it is in the CIA who who know ex actually exactly how to get into the minds of you know pretty much every generation? You know, like who is there? They're all probably pretty competent, but you know, is it still which of the branches is is backwards? Right? Because we know the the CIA is forwards and has been forwards forever. They've always been on the cusp politically and uh, and whatnot, right? And then you've got the army, which lags behind a little bit. And that's just vestigial of kind of European military classes and stuff where politics and, and, and military were, were different, 
you know, that there was professional soldiers and whatnot. So the army lags behind uh, and whatnot. But it's just interesting to think like, yeah, who isn't taking advantage of Call of Duty as a as a way to strengthen the army? That, I mean, they have to be. Totally. It's too good. That would that would be a, a good marketing concept. But it, um, it is. It's what they do. I mean, look at that. If it, oh my gosh, you, you bring up one of those things, and it's literally like, you know, choose where you want to spawn, where you want to deploy, what you want to be. You know, it's <laughs> like you know, track your your you know Syrian child kill count and this. Like, it's an actually insanely <sighs> predatory. It's nuts. Uh, and, choose and where you happen. want to spawn. Do they really use that term? Oh, oh my gosh, I, maybe not exactly, but Whoa. pretty much. <laughs> hang on, hang on. Stella, you've never heard the term spawn before? Oh, I have. Think, I have. I've, okay. Yeah, I've, I've watched my boy play Call of Duty and things like that. Yeah, so, I, I, mean, I gave up. That's been around for quite a while. Yeah, I gave up yeah. Call of Duty a long time ago. Once once you don't have like a lot of close buds, pals, you know, compatriots, comrades to play it with, it, it just ain't that fun. I just don't, it just don't, don't, do, it, don't do it for me. It's too simple. Uh, you know, but when you're a bunch of guys, yeah. again, like vicariously going through a war zone, right, you get that. A, a good amount of that rush and like you know adrenaline of an actual combat zone especially if you're young because you have no idea this is a degree of stimulation you've never experienced before you know it's not like a non-vet coming back and playing call of duty and being like this is nothing like the you know the real thing or something like that these are kids who know nothing like wow war is really like this and then that's where mm. like the propaganda comes in and they're like yes it absolutely is come join us well then that play i mean okay so they recently remade the movie um all Quiet on the Western Front, and it was a great movie, I thought. Um, but the concept is that all these young kids who think that war is great and they've been all hyped up, you know, at home, we got to go out and we got to fight the French and yada, 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 because it's told from a German perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, and then they go and then they realize war is hell, you know, yeah, and all this stuff, and it's really gritty and everything. Um, I don't know where I was going with that, but it seems oh, I, like... I, I, it seems like if they're trying to, it's very similar to that. And if everything is, all the media is controlled by government and that kind of stuff, why would they let that movie be released if they're working on, I know they're not necessarily concurrent, but if they're working on hyping up kids to get ready for war in Libya 10 years from now, are you know. The question is, are kids watching that movie? Is that movie for kids? You know, I, I, I didn't even know they remastered it. So I can tell you right now, the answer is probably no. Probably not for us. We're probably not meant to see it, you know. Uh, but you know, I could tie that in pretty pretty neatly to the the, the Napoleon thing because a, a huge a huge factor in his success was the fact that his men were willing to, I, I mean, do stuff that, I, I, like the forced march, for example, right? Like that was huge, and pretty much every like great general in history has has done the forced march, right? But the reason he could do it so well is because. It was just on the heels of the French Revolution. So all these kids didn't have to wonder, why am I doing this? Why am I fighting for, you know, vive la revolution, right? It's like you, you've half the battle's already been won because the kids are so, or whatever, the men or something like that, you know, are so, they know exactly what they're fighting for. So they're, you don't really have to worry too much about the morale aspect because they're, you know, you just sound the charge and they'll, they'll run for it. They'll die for that stuff. Um, and that was super important, you know, when, uh, when Napoleon faced the Austrians in North Italy in 1796 and whatnot, they they might have been the Austrians might have been an older force. They might have been you know more disciplined and whatnot. But you know they're just they were too professional. It was too like this is my job. You know, yes, I'm serving my country, right? But 
when you're faced with this really youthful tide of like kids who are you know young men who are willing to just rush headlong there's not much you can do not to mention this is coming off of the heels of a time when that stuff didn't exist when every single army in existence was just like the austrians was just a professional dignified noble force you know and now you've got in a lot of ways it parallels vietnam you know right and world war ii and world war one really where you know world war one you've got like mass conscriptions of, of of pretty much children um and because of that, you get, you know, a big morale boost because they're dumb kids and they'll believe what you tell them, you know, that the Kaiser is evil and whatnot, right? And we're fighting for Britain in this, uh, and especially the kids whose parents died in the London air raids. Like, those kids, don't have to worry about them. Uh, but it's really important to, uh, that the kids, that or the, that the soldiers drive themselves, that you, you're not convincing them every single step of the way that what they're doing is right or that, you know, this is that. It, it needs to come from within, so, you know, in Napoleon's time, it was revolutionary fervor, you know, in World War One, it was, uh, you know, it was revenge. A lot of it was re revenge. Uh, Vietnam, we didn't have any of that. We just didn't have a lot of that. You know, we're shipping these kids off, you know, three, however many thousands of miles away to, to, to fight for what? You know, they didn't know, which is why there's, and, you know, there's always the contention around Vietnam. Like, did we win? Did we lose? Whatever, whatever. My answer to that is like, my jacket was made in Vietnam. So you tell me who won and who lost. Uh, when they're making my jacket, it ain't pretty, you know, it ain't like, it ain't the, the reality I would have wanted, but face the facts, you know, it's just another third world country now. Um, you know, but during the war and especially coming back home, right? Like it's super important to get directly into the minds of the soldiers. It's just really important. Always has been. Yeah. Uh, mind control is the, the top of the agenda. Um, Kissinger was a classic example of someone who sort of kicked that one off. Um, and it's still happening today. And I mean, look at what was it, 2013, that Obama said uh, it's okay to uh, use, um, well, basically mind control on the American citizens through uh, media manipulation. Uh, so, you know, that, that son of a bitch Kissinger is still alive. Can you believe I know wow. he's coming. 27th of May, he's going to be 100. Really? I hope he doesn't make it. Oh, oh just my God. Give him a little push. Yeah, it's probably all those those hearts, those heart transplants or whatever that they get. You know, like Dick Cheney's had like three or something. Yeah. And I don't don't quote me on this, but how they many, get them whenever they want them. How many all children did they, have, did they have to sacrifice to get the hearts yeah. to put into his body? Yeah, to keep Kissinger, it probably raises exponentially every every year after eighty. Yeah, the you know, the, <laughs> the the Kissinger Heart Fund. Please donate, and if you don't, uh, <laughs> you don't take it. Yeah, reminds me of a. Madeline Albright, yeah, like, I think it was worth it. You know, whatever, it's like 50,000 Iranian or Iraqi children or something like that. It's like, yeah, I think it's worth it. Just gives you a little, a little like, peek into the mindset of the elite, yeah. you know, where it's like, well, look, what's a what's a few poor, innocent boys for, for one aging, decrepit Kissinger? You know, look at what he did for us. Look at what he did in China. Those boys, if they knew any better, they'd have sacrificed their lives for him anyway. But we didn't ask them. Yeah, it's just he's such a creature. He's got so many, so many lives, so much blood on his hands. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's you know out of I control. Hope, I hope it doesn't. But Ukraine has the potential to become uh, Vietnam very quickly. Uh, if you know, we're not going to back around. Putin's not going to give up. No, quite he can't. And and uh, pretty soon, you know, they've already said we're not going to send tanks, and we're sending tanks. We're not going to send troops. We got troops on the ground there now. Mm -hmm. Pretty soon, we're not going to have enough troops 
to send over there and to main and to keep you know China away from Taiwan. Yeah, but we're gonna we're gonna have a draft, and it'll be fight for Ukraine, fight for I, I the Ukrainian people. I don't know. I think I, I'm of the mind that the that time has passed. It's uh, conventional warfare is on on the absolute decline, you know. And yep. uh, and the question is, could we get away with a draft with a Vietnam style draft? I, I would hope not. But tell that to all the thousands of Ukrainians that have died. You know, when they run out of Ukrainians, they're going to be looking for soldiers. Who are they going to get? That's a good point, but you got to remind it. You got to remember that the entire uh, operational goal of, of of Putin's military action in in Ukraine was to prevent that. Was to prevent Ukraine joining NATO, to prevent a war over Crimea and a subsequent you know World War Three and and quite possibly you know Cold War rhetoric. I know, but thermonuclear war, right? So I, I feel like if that was the case, it would have happened by now. And since it could be the case, that's why Putin had to do what he had to do. You know, Ukraine joins NATO. Ukraine. Uh, they go to war with Russia over Crimea. Well, Ukraine's a part of NATO now. They're using our bullets. They're using our guns. Might as well just use our kids. You know, it doesn't matter. But you've also got to remember, we have the largest standing army, I think, in the world. We have million, if not millions, of 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 non-draftees, of volunteers, right? So these are people who are, and again, I, in my fairly limited but not completely null interactions with, you know, active servicemen, and I've asked them again. You play video games. You meet a lot of these guys, especially like the the war style video games. I, and I always make a point of asking, them, "Hey, you know, why are you doing what what you're doing?" And I'll tell you this much: never once have I heard an answer that wasn't, "I'm here to kill people." I'm here to kill people. Like that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to kill people every single time. It's one version of that. Sometimes with more slurs, um, sometimes not. But nine times out of ten, it's I'm here to kill people. So, because we have a we have a professional soldiery here. It's a it's a it's a warrior cast, you know. So I don't think we need a bunch of dumb kids since we have such a massive standing army. And I don't even and we don't have any major offensives going on right now. Uh, it, it's mostly you know on the regimental level. So maybe I mean maybe, but I think we got plenty in the back pocket without pulling the kids into this one. I I hope it doesn't even come to that. I hope it doesn't even like right now our troops that are over there are not. Sp- you know, like officially over there. I hope it doesn't get past that, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean... Uh, obviously, I hope there's a, a ceasefire and Putin still has control of the Donbass and that's just it, you know? Look at look at Vietnam. We had military, quote-unquote, advisors in yeah. there for, for years, for years and years and years. So, yeah. like, yeah, I mean, if you're just putting Vietnam and Ukraine side by side, I think we all know where this is going. But, uh, you know, I think that times might have changed a little bit you know the the military industrial governmental complex it isn't like it was in in the 60s and the 70s it's a bit different now we might not have to resort to the same levels of desperation but i'm interested to hear stella what it's like in australia what the military culture is like down there you might be asking the wrong person i I sort of tend to keep away from all that kind of thing but um i mean we've got our reserves i guess they could be called up if needed but um, I don't know what's going on with the ADF at the moment. I mean, after what we just went through um, with you know all the COVID business, and then and then we had our floods here actually in the east coast of Australia, particularly in in my sort of region, the Northern Rivers area of New South Wales. And uh, really, it kind of would have been good to have them. I mean, they did come in, but they didn't really do what 
would have been of help. I mean, they took a bunch of rubbish away on some trucks and stuff, but honestly, um, there were some times at the beginning when they just first came in and the cleanup was sort of happening. Uh, I mean, the locals all pulled together. If it wasn't for the locals, the death toll would have been way higher, way higher. But it was little. It was locals in little tinnies, which it's like small boats with little motors, um, cruising around, getting people off, off their roofs, out of their houses, what have you. That's what saved the lives. And then yeah, a few days later, the, the army sort of finally, probably, I don't know, it might have even been longer than a few days, the army sort of finally come in. And, but um, there, was, there was footage taken of them, um, um, of basically just sort of in, it's like we really need you over here because there's a massive mess here, but then you'd find them in some little back street just, you know, putting things on the trailer and, and you know, lights around. It was all photo, photo opportunities. Mm. Um, they didn't really help out like they you would expect them to is there a like a so i don't know what's going on culture in australia like there is in the u.s i mean a lot of people don't know this australia fought in vietnam with us um so that shows at least some willingness on part of the boys to do what we did and just ship out to some random place because we were told to do people still join the military nowadays is it pretty much dead like well i i don't i really don't know without having to to look into it but i do know with the police force at least um you know, through the 2021 period, what have you. Uh, it was only a few months ago I read that um, they were trying to get in touch with anybody who'd ever applied to join the police force because they were very much down in numbers. I mean, that could be for a number of reasons. Um, but they were very much down in numbers. They'd contacted something like 44,000 past applicants over the last five years because they were so desperate to get people in. So I can only assume that perhaps that might be also a reflection in the army, but that is pure speculation. So I'm sorry, I really can't help you there. No, that's fine. It's good. It's good. Better than nothing. I mean, and yeah. oftentimes the, you know, the state of the police force reflects the state of the military. Uh, you know, when military is big, usually police force is also big. Uh, and when the police force is big, military is big. Yeah, I don't know really exactly what happened with the police force. I, I did read that they were retrained somewhere around about the, I don't know, 2016-ish, maybe something area, give or take a year, by by the Israelis, by the Israeli army, something mm. like There seemed to be a little bit of a change sort of around that time too, like, you know, uniforms looked a little bit different, and just general mm-hmm. attitude, the combative gear seemed to get thicker on their bodies, yeah. stuff like that, yeah. But then we all saw the footage that came out during 2020, etc. I mean, a lot of those black-clad thugs, they weren't our boys. Mm-hmm. Not a chance. I think they might have been Cyrus's boys. Seemed to terrify the masses. But anyway, <laughs> that's a little bit off the track. So um, you've just come back from Japan not long ago. Yeah, not too long. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about Japan. What's happening there these days? Uh, well, it's like they say it is. I mean, the, the first couple of things I would say about Japan is that it's safe, it's clean, and it's quiet. And the second thing I would say is at the expense of everything else. Um, it is nothing but safe, clean, and quiet. Uh, it's a great place to work, to get your bread, and not a fantastic place to uh, really live it up. I mean, don't get me wrong, I am sure there are some places in uh, Tokyo and most certainly in Kyoto and Osaka that uh, really, you know, you have the time of your life, but generally it's a very mild, uh, a very mild place, very mild culture. And, and sometimes I think about like, oh, is that just, re- 
kind of post-World War II, like we just bullied them into that. Um, so that's one thing is that it's um, clean, safe, and quiet, but unfortunately not particularly interesting. And that's more exemplified in Tokyo than anywhere else. Tokyo is absolutely super safe, super clean, super quiet, super boring. Um, Kyoto and Osaka are pretty cool. They're much more interesting, much cooler, much less of all of those things, um, but more interesting. It, not to say it's a it's a you know shithole in any way. It's still miles cleaner than any city in you know our fair country. But uh, it, there's a lot more tourists there. A another interesting thing um, I observed, or rather that was observed and point pointed out to me, was the really low sexual dimorphism um, among the the Japanese population and just the total ethnic homogeneity of the entire uh, country. Pretty much everybody is Japanese and the, the men and the women really, really are starting to blend together. Um, and uh, the person I was with was like, well, maybe that's because they have such a kind of male or at least have had such a kind of male dominated uh, society that the, the strongest men can just pick whatever or really any man can pick whatever woman he wants. And they all inevitably pick the most feminine women, which give them more feminine sons. And over the generations, right, you've got these guys picking the most like feminine most attractive softest women having you know and then that's half of their son right and that happens over generations and generations and generations and eventually you lose a lot of the like sexual dimorphism that we see uh here in america where it's at least even from the very outset there's just a lot less of that and, and really just in the west it's a very like uniquely japanese thing even in, in china it's it's not quite like that um but it's big in japan and it's it can be hard especially with all the masks and stuff like that everyone not, oh, yeah. not too many people i mean look pretty much everybody but there were plenty of people not doing it and plenty of japanese people not doing it and nobody gives you the stink eye for not doing it or anything like that don't mean they're not thinking it but i i had absolutely no problem uh but they the the sexual dimorphism i thought was really interesting like you can see the general generational physiological impacts of their culture uh, as compared to ours. That's uh, very interesting. I wonder if, do you think diet has anything to do with that? Because they consume a lot of soy, don't they? Yeah, that, I mean, that could absolutely be true. Uh, another thing I noticed was like, that Wait a, a lot of them, what? Are you suggesting that all Japanese people look the same? No, I'm <laughs> suggesting that the men and women look more similar than ours. Uh, the facial recognition is pretty, pretty bloody good. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Especially now, the master. Yeah, they look about as similar to each other as we do, too. Oh, well, actually, now that I think about it, we just have such an, a massive ethnic diaspora that that's just not true. I'd say they probably look as similar to each other as Germans do to each other. But the men and the women look much more similar than, for example, a German man and a German woman. Um, yeah. I noticed another thing, like that the interactions that I had with them were very, like, I mean, especially with the children, or very like oddly like anime-ish. Like it's weird, you know. Art imitates life, but I feel like life is imitating art here. You know, the what they're exporting to the United States is really having a big like. You know, and, and not to say they don't consume it themselves. I'm sure they're bigger consumers than we are. You know, it, it is their own thing after all. But like, I mean, I would actually have interactions with you know uh, boys and girls my age, and they would like emote. You know, they would like do like like hand gestures and stuff like that. Not in the way we do, you know, where we're pointing at things or, you know, when we're trying to make a big point, we'll hold our hands up in front of us. But no, but like, I mean, really incredibly strange, at least to me, as if they were like in a show, 
you know, as if mm. they were being watched for the, you know, like they're entertainers, sort of. Kind of, but mean? but but it's so interesting because they all do that. So nobody's the the star of the show. Well, and they don't all do that. Let me let me take that back. Professionals, if somebody's serving you or something like that, all business, all business. Everything runs real smooth out there. They've got pretty pretty rife overemployment though. Um, like crossing guards for a parking lot. Um, like it just, they got a lot of people, but all the menial jobs are done by Japanese. It's not like it is here. We've got the, the blue collar mostly dominated by immigrants. Uh, there Japanese people do everything from the absolute bottom to the very top. It's all Japanese. Um, the most significant difference between Japan and America from an administrative standpoint is that their government, uh, likes their people and is trying to do the best for them. Um, they're trying to preserve Japanese culture. They're trying to keep their people, uh, you know, strong and healthy and everything like that, that, you know, and, and for all intents and purposes, it's really working. I mean, Japan, you'll hear a lot of people like be like, oh, we need to be like Japan. No, we don't. But uh, what they're doing, over, they're doing it right. They're doing something that I don't think anybody else or certainly us in America don't need to be doing. That's not the direction we need to take. But it's an absolute case study. And like, if you're going to create this absolutely boring rule oriented but super clean, neat, and safe utopia. Like that's how you do it. You know, there's not a whole degree of personal freedom, but you know, it's it's interesting how like they achieved what's essentially the the socialist utopia <laughs> without ever being socialist. You know, right? And it's not like the classless utopia, but it's the you know neat, clean, crimeless, like you know, low poverty utopia that you know hooks the masses to begin with. However, the dark underbelly of Japan is and uh, has always been suicide. There's an incredible amount of suicide there. More people died from suicide during COVID than COVID uh, in Japan. Yeah, yeah. yeah there yeah, is. That's uh, part of the culture, isn't it, in one sense? Why, why do you think that was in particular through COVID? Well, I mean, for the same reason that our suicide rates skyrocketed. It's no different. And man, their government cracked down harder than we did, given they can take it as a people, as a culture. They're more used to that kind of authoritarianism than we are, given you know their history of having emperors and just their general like you know servile demeanor when they're asked to be uh you know asked to perform tasks like that but uh i mean be, being locked in your house and not being able to touch or see anybody else make anybody go crazy make any yeah, demographic yeah. kill themselves so uh, it was, and, it was and, an obvious question i was just wondering whether japan sort of in particular had some other um i'm and i'm factor. sure it it might not hit them as hard as we do cuz they again they've already kind of moved towards a more I mean, they're just super modern. They're so modern. Everything it has to be a computer. That's another thing. Everything has yeah, a so, on it. Yeah, oh. they're so um, removed from the organic way of life. Oh, aren't yeah. they? I mean, it's it's so unnatural. It's Can I, I have to ask? I have to ask. Did you visit Hiroshima or Nagasaki at all? No, but uh, I hear they're doing well. Yeah, it they're is. encouraging tourism. I was just wondering whether you guys went there and whether. No, and yeah. and I'm sure it's it's. I mean, it's been a long time, and we're allies, but I'm sure it's not. You know, they're not absolutely you know thrilled to see a couple you know a uh, couple gaijin strolling down the streets of <laughs> Hiroshima and Nagasaki. <laughs> uh, I know I wouldn't be, but then again, they might have had that beaten out of them by their government for their own good, of course. But uh, you know, oh, you know. yeah. Well, I mean, from what I gather, they're encouraging tourism. Uh, yeah, but I don't think there's any reason to go there. I just don't. They 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 ain't got nothing right. right? Tokyo is where you go, and if you're, you know, actually want to have fun, you go to Kyoto or Osaka, right? Like, there's, yeah. I mean, you can go, like, up to, like, Sapporo. I, get, I mean, there's there's just really nobody, nowhere else. 
just those three that is but i did notice like on the uh the geography of japan is interesting pretty much the entirety of the central island is mountainous so most of the settlement happens on the coast and i'll, I'll tell you i took the shinkansen bullet train from uh, tokyo to uh osaka and, and i actually never not even for a moment didn't see a pretty significant settlement like it was houses pretty much the entire way there um right. obviously i mean it never got anything beyond ex urban i guess is how i'd put it like if you've ever been to like middle america where it's not quite rural but it's not quite suburban you know where there's like a good amount of distance between the two houses generally like you think about new england um upstate new york is a lot like that uh yeah. not outright rural but uh it, it was ne it never got sparser than that i mean there were always neighborhoods and every now again yeah i mean yeah so not much sort of um green areas no it was extraordinarily green everything was bright green there was just no wilderness what i meant yeah well that's what i meant actually yeah a green zone so i'm thinking a green for you Jeez, <laughs> you everything down there's a desert uh i understand that much but uh yeah the same, yeah like metaphorically green that absolutely none everything everything everywhere is somebody is there um, yeah. But okay. I, so, do they have um, like national parks and sort of areas that are? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they even people? have some inside Tokyo, really grand spaces of, um, you know, a lot of trees and everything like that, a lot of temples um, and whatnot. So that's there. That's absolutely there. They haven't forgotten like the about Japanese that. gardens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah. What about the like the history of Japan? Because they were they weren't even allowed to have armies and everything there for a few decades. Is that correct? Do you know much about the history of Japan? Uh, not an extraordinary amount. I mostly know more about contemporary China uh, than I do about Japan. But Japan's had a super hardcore history from the very get-go. Um, I mean, and what happened to China, or sorry, what happened to them happened to China. As soon as you let the, the, the gaijin in, it's over, right? Can't do that. Cannot do that. Do not let do not let the guaylo in. Otherwise, it's completely over. Sure enough, it happened to Japan. Sure enough, it happened to China. Um, and they always try to come back. You know, they always try to like, like for example, um, Japan let them in or kind of westernized in the Meiji Restoration um, in the uh, 19th century, and then tried to kind of come back and establish more national pride and stuff like that. But of course, we put that absolutely down in the ground with World War II. Um, same thing happened to China. China opened up in the Opium Wars, or sorry, in the 1800s, lost in the Opium Wars, completely humiliated. Um, and they're coming back now, you know, right? Kind of like how Japan did. And uh it's interesting to think like, oh, it's the Chinese century. Oh my gosh, you know, they're coming, they're coming to get us and stuff. And I'm like, all you have to do is introduce Westerners to that culture and it will it will crash and burn. So I'm just waiting for China to start letting immigrants in to solve their birth problem. Um, and then it's over. That is what will kill China. Just just a quick ah, just okay. a, a a quick bookend for that yeah. is that don't be afraid about China, uh, because they're birth rates are down so they're going to let immigrants in and uh it's going to destroy everything because the only reason they're so good is because everyone's chinese you know back in the early 90s when we were constantly fighting iraq and whoever else my question was why are we bothering sending troops over there why don't we send you know mcdonald's and Best yeah. Buy over there instead because <laughs> that would accomplish the same thing <laughs> and then and make a profit well i, I remember profit the earliest days of the the Ukraine conflict and it was like oh my you know all these McDonald's and, and American outlets are shutting down in Russia and I'm like oh no oh god forbid oh wow it's only a matter of time now without without the McDonald's and you know whatever baby gap for Russia's phew, just you know 
just counting the minutes here. Uh, yeah, just yeah, just make them <laughs> just just, yeah, just westernize them. All we need to do for North Korea is just send a a, a high level like a high altitude bomber over it and just drop tons of like uh, Marvel movies and iPhones. Yeah. And yeah. that are that have exactly a thing on them, and psh, you're done. Bones. Donuts. Can you no. believe Kim Jong Un banned the internet in his country? I'm not trying to defend the guy, mostly because I don't know anything about him. But uh, I tell you one thing: if I was in his position, that's the first thing I would do. Yeah, if you want yeah. to maintain control, you gotta lock. Not that even control, down. but a sense of identity. By God, we we we're all on the internet, and we're turning into Japan. You know, we got all these weeaboos and shit like that. You know, yeah. it's, it's the ultimate destruction of borders. We're still, uh, we're still Americans. Oh yeah, no, of course. But in the yeah, cities, yeah. in the cities, it's, it's. Yeah, I'd the, say yeah, it's almost over. The cities were never gonna last. No, and the cities have never been America. It's never yeah. been the city. Nobody ever think. I mean, bar New York, when you think of America, you think of the uh, uh, pre pre eighties New York, maybe. Yeah, maybe that was Americana. That was yeah, Metropolis Americana. But but it's mostly the American Midwest, and and I've had the d dis distinct South. displeasure of um being in courses that literally which will have units literally talking about or, or classes or whatever it depends on the length talking about like you know why the the rural vote doesn't really shouldn't matter as much as the city vote you know <laughs> it's just like it's like well there's just not that much of them you know it's just like when the majority i'm like dude oh my gosh so you know i don't mean to be defeatist here but uh they're uh the the yeah, as the voter base migrates to the cities, um, and as the Californians migrate to Texas, it's only a matter of time before, uh, before you know the what I consider at least you know like the real Americans, for back of a, lack of a better word, uh, they will lose their voice. They will lose their voice. Yeah, I so think that's the whole point, isn't it? Yeah, I you're right, uh, but I think there's a, another direction it could go in because if uh, if you look at Atlanta, there are huge portions of, you know, uh, Atlanta that are seceding, basically becoming their own city mm -hmm. cities, that are pulling all of this. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't call them cons uh, conservative necessarily, but it's uh, breaking apart the 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 core liberal woke city yeah. thing is is not necessarily as strong as it used to be. I think. Yeah, well, that's great. Then it's then it's uh, it might happen in the South. The South might uh, save us. Uh, but you know, I can I can attest right now, having lived in L.A. for a while. Uh, I, I I mean, cross L.A. off the map. Just avoid it. Just you know, whatever. Hundred mile radius around L.A. Uh, at all costs. It's like the epicenter. You know, right? Yeah. And, and and I thought that that it would be New York. I was like, I feel like New York would have, but New York just has too many like. I think it's like just the diverse ancient immigrant communities and stuff like that who just cannot be torn down. Like you just, they're, they, you know, you've got, I mean, you've got like, uh, even like Spanish Harlem and stuff like that. Right. And, and Ithaca with like the middle Eastern people, right. It's you, you just got too many enclaves that, you know, trust no outsider. Um, you just can't break those barriers down. But here in LA, we're pretty much the only immigrants you have are Chinese and Mexican. Um, and you you can you can mash everything together pretty well. Although it's worth noting that there are still absolutely uh, Mexican neighborhoods and Chinese neighborhoods and white neighborhoods in America. There is very, I mean, 
unless it's rich, in which case there's all races, um, generally the the lower classes self segregate. Uh, which is which is just interesting. It you know it just makes you wonder like, well, it, it kind of tying into Kiel's like Atlanta secession thing. Like if these little enclaves start to become more and more concentrated of these like like minded people, you know, it's going to be a lot harder to unite the entirety of L.A. under the banner of like, you know, totalitarian dictatorship. Uh, so you know, there's hope, but you also run the risk of like you know losing your American identity right to the. Uh, Mexicans who, you know, are proud of Mexico and the Chinese who are proud of China. Uh, yeah, you pick your direction. Yeah, it's a similar thing here. Um, during the COVID stuff, um, one of the uh, prime targets were the neighbourhoods where there was very strong cultural ties and strong men that couldn't be swayed. So, like the Middle Easterns, um, particularly uh, the um, Italian community. Mm-hmm. Um, Maltese, I think. I mean, not just off the top of my head, but um, yeah, they were very much under under fire because they were trying to break down those those uh, ties, those those strengths, community strengths. I don't think they achieved it very well. I don't really know what the outcome was, but uh, it was a test. We all know it was a test. So, uh, what the results of that were, I don't know. Yeah, well, fam, has anybody got anything else that they'd like to say? Sorry, I was just, just going to interject and say, you know, diversity, there is strength in diversity, but only when it's natural, when it's organic, when it's forced diversity, it is an absolute weakness. And yes. I think we have too much of that forced integration that happens everywhere. And, you know, if you want to keep your neighborhood, you know, um, uh, uniculturally, unicultural, you know, because that's just who you're used to being around and that's who you're familiar with and you're comfortable with. I think that's a great thing. I don't think you should f- bus kids across the state to go into schools. I know that kind of doesn't really happen anymore, but it it's just, uh, it's a bad thing in my opinion. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it- it displa- all these displaced people, their culture is all fractured and broken. And then as the communities they're coming into, it breaks and fractures the culture. And, you know, not necessarily wants to be a bad thing on the community level. People want to be tolerant, etc. But, <clears throat> excuse me, it's just, um, yeah, it's just segregation. It's just a natural thing, isn't it? Just yeah. people just cannot integrate. I mean, unless we all sort of speak the same language or what have you, there's those obvious barriers. Um, and just the cultural barriers. Yeah, it's well, yeah, it's just I mean, it's hard to know, really. I mean, we, we should all be a little bit more tolerant, perhaps, but um, it's well, just sure. not the way it is. Yeah, to- tolerance is the American way, and uh, and I think you know when you you want to bring in different ideas and different cultures sometimes because that helps kind of break things up. You think out of the box and all those kind of corporate phrases yeah, and. Yeah. Uh, Increase the menu. That that helps, you know. It brings new ideas into a a system that may be about to get bypassed by those new ideas. And anyway, I don't know where that's neither here nor there. That's all just part of what's going on at the moment. (laughs) All right. 
I guess, yeah, we didn't really get around to Napoleon, but we can do that another time, perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> it was just and, and, you know, if it, if it didn't come up, it didn't come up. No, just yeah. wasn't, wasn't as important as all the other stuff. And maybe that'll be a, uh, you know, that'll be a full-length chew in the fat. Who knows? Yep, yep. I think that sounds pretty good. Um, but, uh, yeah, we really appreciate you coming along. It's been fantastic talking to you, Mitch. It's been really good to get a, a, a youthful um, take on the world. What's mm-hmm. happening? Uh, and my, my take isn't the only take. It's just, uh, you know, it's kind of the, the freedom-loving L.A. child's perspective. So don't take it from me. <laughs> well, well, like last time that I heard you speak, it, it, I did find uh, I had more hope at the end of the show, and, and that is the same case today. So thank you. Oh, wow. Um, That's all you, though. Oh, it, it's great. <laughs> well, it's just good to know this, you know. Yep. There's some young people that are going to lead out. You're our future, man. <laughs> That's, oh, that gives me hope. I've heard that. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Van, for being here. Thank you to everybody for um, for joining us today. Um, hope you've uh, found it fascinating in one way or another. And uh, we look forward to having another chat sometime with Fat Mitch. All the best to you, your future and your studies. Appreciate it. All right. Yeah. I'm uh, sure you'll kill it. Appreciate it. You'll All kill right. it as a doctor. <laughs> I hope not, actually. Uh, I hope I save it. Anyway, yeah. uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, and yeah, I'll see you guys next time. And Is there anywhere that you do, you do you have any sort of places that you want to promote, like any websites nope. or anything like that? Nope. nope, nope, nope. Okay. For all intents and purposes, I do not exist. Good on you. All that's right. that's a you. good strategy to have. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much. And I um, uh, guess we're out. Yeah. Thanks, care, Mitch. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Union of the Unknowns. You can find new episodes every week on all your favorite podcasting networks. 